Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Massive Attack Podcast. It is a Massive Attack Podcast, isn't it? Yes, it is. You think I know after 76 episodes. 121 episodes, technically. Technically. Well, if you count all the Christmas ones. Ooh, it's getting close to that, isn't it? We better start watching. Mm, we do. All right. I'm Mitch, your host. With me is Joe, as always. Hello, Mitch. How are you? I'm good. And we are continuing our alphabet thing in an alphabetical order, and we are doing the letter Q. Now, not much starts with the letter Q. We could have done Queen. Or quaaludes. Can you get quaaludes in Australia? I have no idea. I just know it's a drug. <laughs> I think it's gone now. But anyway, but we did a short list of things to do for Q. I like something. You're a big fan of something. I am. I'm a big fan of lots of things. <laughs> but when we had our guest last episode, we put a few letters out to him saying, would you like to come and talk? And he said, can we do Q for Quasar? And I said, yes, we can. Because <laughs> I'm said, a big fan. I know nothing about Quasar, so it's probably a good idea that we bring a guest in for this one. So we have a return. We do. One week, one episode ago, we had Scott Stewart via Skype. We've got one better. We've got him in the room. So welcome, Live in living colour. Hello, Mitch. Hello, Joe. Thank you for having me back in here in the fortress. Yes, the filthy fortress. The Krypton Lounge, as you like to call it. Yes. All right. Well, as I said, I know nothing of Quasar, so my role tonight is going to be quite easy. I'm just going to sit here and throw things at you, and you can go ahead. Okay. So, who would like to start off by telling us the story of Quasar? Oh, we can let the guest do that if he wants. Okay. Go for it, Scott. What, what, I, listen, what do you know? All I know is he is a very, very, very minor character. <gasps> from, How dare you! All right, so he's a Marvel character. <laughs> Thank you. Was created in the eighties. No, but anyway, that's all fine. Right. He has links with the Guardians of the Galaxy comic, but not the movies. Correct. He is a unlockable character in the new Lego Marvel game that's on Xbox, Lego Marvel Avengers, I think it is. Uh-huh. He's not been in any of the other Lego Marvel games. And when you do Google image searches, there is continuously an image of Quasar on the cover being pregnant, kind of like that Demi Moore Rolling Stone cover. Yep. So I'm sure I'm going to ask that's you guys enough. about that. But that's that's about all I know. Oh, actually, I remember a while back when you were collecting those Hero Clicks figures that he was quite a rare figure and you were quite excited when you got one. I didn't get one because it was so rare. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's about all I know. That's good. Well, that's Quasar in a nutshell. I think we can wrap up now. All righty. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Quasar is a Marvel superhero, as you've said. He was created in the 70s by a hero from the 50s named Marvel Man, who was a space adventurer who came back with bracelets which controlled solar energy. He went a bit space crazy, ended up passing away, uh, unable to control the energies of his quantum bands, as they came to be known, and the bands fell into the control of S.H.I.E.L.D., where worked young uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Wendell Vaughn. Wendell Elvis Vaughn. Uh, so, uh, through supervillain machinations, Wendell dons the quantum bands and uh, is able to control the energies and becomes the protector of the universe. No pressure. So he's part of the whole Marvel cosmic outer space sort of bit. He's yes. not a, an Earth hero. He's uniquely placed. He kind of straddles the Earth hero, cosmic hero fence. Okay. He's obviously an Earthling. And he, before he found out he was protector of the universe, he was sort of Earth-bound. And he did create a matrix around the Earth itself where he could tap in if anything came to Earth that wasn't meant to be or whatever he would know about through the power of the quantum bands, which can do everything. But yes, he grew bigger than that role. Okay, so... Another way to talk about Quasar, would you say, is he's sort of like Green Lantern, but better? <laughs> Much better. Because the constructs that Quasar makes are yellow, he would defeat Green Lantern handily in any confrontation, because yes. Green Lantern has a famous weakness for anything made of wood or the colour yellow. yellow. <laughs> 
There you go. And he wears a cape, so that's got to make him better, doesn't and it? And a nice porn headband. 70s porn headband, thank you. That he continued rocking in the 80s. Nobody else was that brave. Quasar no. was. All right, so what we normally do on the, on the show here is we talk about the origins and, you know, the actual story itself. But then we kind of get into our own personal history with Quasar. Okay. So when did you guys first start reading Quasar. I started on Quasar not long after I started on comics. I got into comics via my love of Transformers and G.I. Joe. The comics were published by Marvel and full of ads for their superheroes and it wasn't long until I branched over and sampled and uh, fell for Spidey and the Avengers. I'm almost the same story as you. Transformers were my first comics I ever bought and I'd read them because I knew Transformers. I knew who Spider-Man was obviously and others but my local news agent had comics and I would buy that and I think I branched out and dollar comics I think they'd just gone up from a dollar fifty to a dollar seventy you know so it was a big jump but that's when I started buying comics and I just got really into it really big so I'd go every week to the news agent and see what new comics came out and I pretty much grabbed everything to just sort of taste everything and Quasar number one just happened to be one of the ones that was there and it's like yeah I'll buy this because I'm buying everything and I just really dug it and I suppose it's probably because I hadn't read anything else as well you know I just didn't no, there was just like, and this is a beauty of comics. I mean, that's a first issue as well. So for me, that was kind of exciting because, you know, you can buy an issue in Avengers, but you're up to issue 320 or something. So you're in the middle of a story. It's fine. You can still read it, but you're not on the ground floor of this thing. But this is a first issue of this character I didn't know of, but he seems kind of cool. He's got his porn headband. It's all good. Prior to that, though, he'd guest starred in a couple of other comics, hadn't he? And this was his first run on his own. This is his own title. Yes. Yep. He had first appeared in the mid 70s, appeared in numerous titles, including Dazzler, the famous roller skating musical mutant and Marvel 2-in-1 with the thing from the Fantastic Four and Marvel team-up with Spidey. Okay. So it hadn't been around much. Pretty. It, it went for 60 issues, Quasar, and it was written all by Mark Grimwald. All except the second last issue. Yeah, so I don't want to just give him a service, but Mark Grimwald's he not a journeyman writer, but he was a pretty much a career writer for Marvel. He was he was a staffer. He was a Marvel lifer. He'd, yeah. he'd started at Marvel in 1979 as an assistant editor, as was pretty much de rigueur at the time. All of the editorial staff also worked freelance, so he started writing stories. And it's not commonly known, but he's actually got published pencils as well. Issue of Marvel Team Up Annual and uh, the Hawkeye Limited series. And yeah, he just seem to be really good at I mean writing comics is interesting like especially nowadays you have superstar writers and you had superstar writers back then but you would go and get a writer and all that and if you almost like a sports draft or whatever you can go and poach really good writers to come to you and those sort of things but especially in those sort of days you would work your way up from the copy room and get a gig in writing or in editing or something like that it wasn't you go off and train to be this you get trained in house and I, I don't know if he started at the bottom on that uh, Mark actually started as uh, in the in the fan scene doing fanzines and so forth okay. his first work in comics was for DC he wrote a kind of like Marvel Universe entries for, but for a DC DC thing back in the day. Shortly after that was hired by Marvel and stayed there for his career. It's pretty rare for someone to have or a, a comic to run with the same writer for most of its run though, isn't uh, it? Back then, you, if you were lucky, you could. Sales obviously had to do well and it's quite ironic now that Quasar is quite an unknown character, like you didn't know who it was but he made 60 issues, which is a pretty good run and the sales were actually, if you could, got the sales he was getting then, now you would be a top 10 book. <laughs> That's how little sale comic sales are now. He'd be outselling almost every book, comparing apples to oranges, obviously. 
uh, even though he wasn't a big seller at the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. So for me, this is great because I mean, I knew through comics and cartoons and things like that, I knew who the X Men were vaguely. I knew who was Spider Man and Hulk and Superman and Batman. So Quasar. The beauty of what this did to me was it introduced me to the Marvel Cosmic, which is the space, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and all those sort of things. And it was a whole new world. It opened my eyes. And that, that's what I loved about this book. And it was just, he, he sort of became my character. Because, you know, everyone likes Spidey, everyone likes Hulk. But no one knew who Quasar was. He was mine. He was my own little book. And that's one of the reasons I like him so much. And it was, for me, a fun story. By comparison, I wasn't reading everything out there. But, you know, comics were definitely a soap opera at that time where nowadays they're written for a trade paper they're written in six issue story arcs and those sort of things you still can get some ongoing stories but it's not there is technically storylines that finish in the Quasar book but it's pretty much from issue 1 to issue 60 it's one big story the yeah the 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 background characters, their stories continue through where the, the title villain might change from story to story. A, a common format for the comic superhero. Yeah, so it's just kind of funky. And for me, it was frustrating as well because there were some really nice artists, some good artists on the book. And because it wasn't a big name seller, they would get poached by all the big name books and it would piss me off every time. Because Greg Capullo, who was famous for doing Spawn forever and he got poached over to do X-Force I think I was like god damn it it was like Argh. and there was a few others um, Andy Smith I liked as well not you got to be a Bart Sears fan to like that but you know that's the sort of stuff I liked but yeah it just seemed to be they, they always got poached off Quasar and there was some questionable artists on the, on the Quasar book at certain points in time the book started with Paul Ryan, who uh, was also penciling the Avengers at the time, which was a particular pleasure for me, did the first six or seven issues of the book. Paul's still working. He currently does the newspaper strip for the Phantom for King Features, I believe. There you go. I actually know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're you're a Marvel boy, I would say. Is that right? Absolutely and utterly. Mm. Because Mitch is just a total DC. Yeah, I am a DC. And I like DC books. I mean, I like comics. It's not surprising that you've reached over to, like, Quasar, because one of the things I think that makes Quasar a little bit different from the rest of the Marvel Universe is he has a bit of a DC flavour. He's very Superman in his uh, blue, uh, yellow and red colour scheme. He's very much a Boy Scout in his demeanour and attitudes. One of the things that makes Quasar different and special for me is that uh, throughout all of the iterations of the character, he always had a job. When he inherited the quantum bands, he was a, a shield agent, and he didn't rush out and you know, fight crime and, and at night. He stayed working for S.H.I.E.L.D. The uh, super agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., <laughs> his outfit was known for about six issues. And uh, when that fell through, he went and got a job as head of security at a government energy research lab called Project Pegasus. And that's something I realised rereading the wiki today, because it's been a while since I've read the books, but it's something I don't get from books anymore. He's got the secret identity. And you had that problem of, oh my God, i got to protect, you know, people might figure out who I am or, you know, that I've got this, even though he doesn't wear a mask or anything, but not many people knew who Quasar was anyway. He wasn't doing, you know, much in the public eye. But he also has a mentor, which is this giant floating log with a bit of a face and a giant eye sort of thing. Yeah, kind of swamp thing crossed with log from Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. <laughs> Called Eon. Yeah. And that's sort of hovering around, mentoring, talking to him. And that's sort of like people come in the house and there was an issue where it's like, oh, hide, quick, you know, that sort of thing. And I was thinking about it today. 
about that issue. And I was like, in modern comics, I can't think of much. The whole keeping the secret identity, going through that whole hoo-ha of like, oh, they've got to figure it out. I've got to hide, you know, the costume and that sort of thing. So I was sort of like, it is a throwback to the past. Like, everything is so po-faced and serious now that I'm reading. I mean, there's so many comics out there. Like we said before, that comic sales are down compared to then. I'm not saying comics quality is down. It's probably... Oh, it's a good time. There are some really good books out there. There just seems to be a lot more books from a lot more companies, where back then Marvel and DC definitely had the run of the industry with a lot of books. I think that's exactly right. Is that there is so much competition for the comics dollar now. So even like a big name run will get less sales because there is so many other options. There's an element of that. Back in the day, the newspaper, a news agent distribution for comics made a huge difference to their sales. You could get them in 7-Elevens, milk bars, anywhere. These days, you really have to go and hunt them out. You have to want them and be pretty committed to the hobby. And that's the thing. Like, comics have been distributed mostly through a company called Diamond Distribution. So, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, all that. They now submit their books through Diamond and Diamond distribute them out to the shops. So, all the comic shops and that, it's a one-stop shop for them to buy all their books from one place which makes it really convenient but it also makes it hard for upstart comic publishers to get in and it just must be too hard for places like news agents and things like that to buy books now because if you go to a news agent here in australia now it's there's just nothing there's locally produced stuff you might be lucky to get some and the price are exorbitant k-zone and and the 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 Disney magazines are about the only thing filling that gap. Some news agents will carry some uh, some books, but it's ubiquitous phantom. Yeah, and that's the thing, because like you said, when, when I remember when I was a kid, I could just walk into the news agents and there would be, you know, a couple of dozen titles. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's how I got into comics, is you've mentioned many times that you got into it through Transformers. I think I started with the Indiana Jones comics, which we mentioned mm. a couple of issues ago episodes ago when we talked about Indiana Jones. It was just that continuing the story of something that you've you've seen a bit of in the movies and just being able to have more of that. Yep. And I can remember getting the Indiana Jones comics and again, just seeing ads for other comics or seeing a cover or, or something and you like the look of the cover, you would pick that up. I just wonder how young kids these days get into comics if well, they, they don't, don't have it. And that's the problem. Hmm. They don't. I mean, the, during the era that plays our number one debut, I think 1984, comics would sell, your average newsstand comic would sell 100,000, 250,000 without even blinking. Your big sellers in the comics market these days will do 50. And there's a Spider-Man will sell around 20,000 copies a month at the moment. Okay. The difference is the tale of comics. Back then it was you sold one comic and it was reasonably priced. It was on really crappy paper and I love it. Now, it's like I said, it's, everything's written for that five to six issue story arc. What they can do is they can collect that as a trade paper and they can sell that trade paper and they can reprint that trade paper and they can sell that to bookshops. They can sell that to libraries. They can sell it to a lot more things. Yeah. So individual comic sales are different. I mean, I, and I don't know if digital, digital comics, like comicsology is still a big part of the industry now. I assume that is incorporated in the 20,000 sales you're talking about. No. The numbers, uh, when we talk about numbers in comics, we talk about uh, physical sales to North okay. American comic shops, yep. basically. Okay. It, it's definitely a different industry now. It's a different beast. But when you were looking at those comics in that time, like I said, it was a dollar seventy. Now, all right, with inflation, that's whatever that equivalent is now. Yep. It's $3 something now or whatever it would be. But comics now cost $5.50 minimum. Yeah, exactly. And that's the killer. So back then, I could go with $10 and get more than five books if I was... 
played it right. Where now, 10 bucks isn't going to get me two books. And comics, how long do they take you to read? 15 minutes at the most, 20 if you're lucky. You're going to pay $5.50 for a something that's going to last that long. And it's, I mean, a coffee is equivalent. I understand that. But it's sort of like, you sort of want a bit more for your buck nowadays. It just feels like it's, it's a hard thing to do. And I guess that's why trades do sell better because you know if you've got a single issue you're not going to want to display that on a shelf like you do with a trade so you you can't do it well exactly unless you're going to you know bag them and pin them to your walls or something like that but the the idea of having all your trades like what we've got here in the krypton lounge you've got you know your shelves full of trades with all the the spine showing and that sort of stuff and you get the books that obviously and i've got boxes and boxes of books (laughs) which you can't see what's in them yeah yeah but Going back to that digital thing, it's a lot of the comics are now produced for digital first and then they're printed from digital. Is that how it works? No, oh, well, a lot of the artists in that draw digitally. Yeah. So it's a lot easier that way. I mean, back in the day, like even probably back in the Quasar issue one days, you had the bullpen, which was Marvel, the offices in New York. A lot of the writers work there. Some of the artists would have worked there and they, it was all in-house. Like yep. it was very much of the boys club. So, and they would do- I saw your staffers, you paste up people- the copiers, secretaries. Yeah, it, it was you go to work, yep. and it was all done on card or board or whatever they want to call it. But nowadays, you can work from Asia, you can work from Brazil, you can work from anywhere, and you email your artwork in. So it's it's digital. So there was people would draw and scan and send, and all the coloring is done digitally as well. Before it was done spot color. Yep. You know, colorist was a real. Art. I mean, there still is an art. It's just a digital art now, where it was a physical art before. So a lot of it is done digitally just through necessity, because people aren't in that one-stop office anymore. But also, people are finding a lot easier. Like a friend of ours, Jay Spadawa, who's a comic artist over in America now. He's he's he went digital about 15 years ago, and yeah, he hasn't looked back. And for him, it made his life so much easier. Like I have a nostalgia for drawn comics. There's something. There is a difference. You can tell, and you and and it's nostalgia. It's more than anything. It's not a quality thing. It's just nostalgia. It is easier now. And I remember Brian Bendis when the comicsology was first taking off. Like, he's one of the better, bigger name writers of the last 15 years. And he was a bit anti-digital comics when it was coming in because he's an old school fan like us and he likes a physical book in his hand. It's got a smell. It's got a feel. And he didn't like this <coughs> idea of a digital comic until he saw the colours on the screen. And it's like, this is how it looks because he he's, he writes comics so he gets the digital art sort of t- before it comes out. And he sees that first. So he sees it on the screen. And then when he gets the comic in his hand three months later, it's washed out. It's nowhere near as vibrant and bright so for him the digital is the way comics should be now because digital art is the way it's coming so it's very easy to make digital comics now because it was all created that way there are still other people who still do old school but it's fewer and far between I'd say it depends which side which side of the industry you're looking at Marvel and DC mostly produce for print first still but that percentage is changing in the smaller side of the industry uh, a lot of it will go online and work towards uh, a printed collection rather than going through the uh, expense and frustration of trying to print and sell a pamphlet to a market that doesn't really want them anymore and then the other thing like I said with digital distribution you've got a they've got a minimum quantity of books to sell before they will distribute for you so gone are the days of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 with a couple of thousand issues getting out there and finding an audience you have to have so many thousand to start with so it's just not viable for a small run to do it but digitally you can because all you need is the master file and then Comixology is is your distributor and you don't have to do a lot to get it out there so a lot of it a lot of the smaller press and those sort of things are going or they just do it themselves you put it up on your own website I forget the name of the company but it's a digital comic only 
they found out it wasn't even worth going physical and they just put it out for free online on their website and then they would do a trade paper every couple of months or years and they were huge dollars for them because they built their audience and kept it. It's the, the same freemium model that's winning over video games and all sorts of content, podcasting for example. Exactly, yeah. So it, it's obviously you can have so much more you know, comics downloaded on your iPad than needing to have a box full of issues. Or boxes. Yeah. Which is, yes. Which I'm going through a cull now. I'm very bad at throwing things out, but I'm trying because I don't know about you, but I mean, I love comics back then because for me, there, there were no movies like Guardians of the Galaxy back then. You know, we had Batman in 88, Superman in 78, and, you know, if you're lucky, you've got to steal. Or, you know, um, David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury. And, and you'd, you'd eat this stuff up because there was nothing else. You were on board, you know, when they did the trial of the Incredible Hulk and you had a Daredevil representation on the TV show with Bill Bixby. It's like, bring it on. I'm loving this shit. There was no budget on a Quasar comic. He's in space. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I love Star Wars, but there was no more Star Wars in 1989. So this was great stuff for me. There were so many worlds, but now comics are competing with computer games. You are competing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know where the audience for comics is coming from anymore. You've got young son, you've got younger sons. Are they even interested in comics? Are they even looking for entertainment in that sort of way, shape or form? Not really. Like, I know a couple of years we've taken them to Free Comic Book Day and they've, they've got their books and they've, you know, they've sat down and they've read them pretty much cover to cover. But after that, they haven't sought out other comics, which I find really hard. Like, they'll, they'll read just the same free issue over and over again, but they won't sort of go, I like this character, I'll, you know, I'll go and look for more. And I've even gone onto Comixology and tried to buy them other issues of... I think they, they read a Sonic the Hedgehog comic, and I thought, well, maybe they'll get into this, so I went and bought another issue for them, and they were like, yeah, it's not the same. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. But they do like the physical holding it in their hand more than they like the iPad. Because I think my kids are at that stage where they just assume the iPad is for games, and they don't really want to do it like you know, reading on the iPad or anything like that. So maybe that's what it is. My kids both experimented with comics and enjoyed comics, but mainly as a result of their passion for other things. Uh, my daughter's a big fan of Sherlock, so the manga adaptations are floating her boat. Uh, uh, she's a Jared Waynut, so uh, Umbrella Academy nice. is, has had a, a, a resurgence in our house lately. The boy is a Simpsons fan, so a giant stack of Simpsons comics next to his bed, but not a lot of interest in transferring that to, to even the Marvel films, which, as a family we're all massively in love with. I suppose that's the thing. I mean, like the, like Transformers for me was like, you know, I'd get up and watch the early bird show and I'd watch the Transformers on it. But when I got a comic, it's like, I can watch Transformers. I read Transformers anytime I want during the week. I don't need access to the tally. We only had the one and that was when I was allowed to watch it and all that sort of thing. So the comics gave me that. The Simpsons are great, but you've got how many seasons? Pretty much yeah. showing at any point. If you've got Fox Ellis all the time and if you've got any sort of device that can get to the internet, you've got The Simpsons. So I don't know if you look at that as a cheaper version of The Simpsons. It's not the real Simpsons. It's just a comic version. I don't know how you look at it that way where for me the Transformers comic was more Transformers you know it was kind of cool when I was reading the Transformers comic we didn't have a VCR I'm not sure even if VCRs were a commercial thing they were probably out but not common so yeah you, there was no going back you you saw the cartoon during the specified half hour it was broadcast or you missed out mm. whereas comics you could 
pick up any time. And yeah, so going into something like Quasar or whatever, it opened the world of Marvel Cosmic to me and the shared universe of the Marvel Universe. And I don't know if it's the collector mentality in me, but the fact that I've got to catch them all, that's why I've never gone to Pokemon, which is a good thing for me, because there's more. And the worst thing that I ever got was the, the official handbook to the Marvel Universe. Never-ending library of facts and figures? It's literally an A to Z of characters or things in the Marvel Universe. And it would be the Wikipedia of Marvel Comics in the fact if you could hit links because it would reference things in there saying, oh, he was first appearance was in this book. It's like, I want to know what that book is now and I want to find out what this guy is and he's affiliated with this group of superheroes and, you know, and this character was married to this one and you got the history of all this character. It's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it just showed that the, the world, the Marvel Universe at this time was, you know, 25, 30 years old and it was like, there's so much out there. That's great. And I, I, I never felt that it was too big and I couldn't go there but I just I love the fact that it existed and there was this history there you know? and it was an enormous expansive history too you were well aware that it was 25 years old that at any given month there were 30 massive battles happening and you saw five of them but none, nonetheless you managed to be aware of all 30 mm, it was just yeah, it's just it's great feeling, and I, I don't. A lot of that's lost now with things like Wiki. Like you, you could get up to date with Quasar with that's a few Google image searches and um, a couple of searches. You could get find out everything that happened, but you were you weren't there in the trenches, and that's the thing. I mean, that's like like I said, I'm culling a lot of comics because. I bought a lot of comics over the last 25 years and some resonate with me, some I look through going, I don't even remember that book at all because you get to a point where you just buy everything. Like Troll Lords, <laughs> as you've seen. You know, I'm, I'm culling, but there's no way I'm getting rid of Quasar. That's staying because there's memories there. I've got Todd McFarlane. Now, all right, Quasar is considered, can be considered a dorky character by some, not me. And there's issue, I think it's 14, where Todd McFarlane, who is the superstar comic book artist of the time, creator of Spawn, reinvigorated Spider-Man, he did the cover and I think it's a pretty kick-ass cover but I'm a Tom McFarlane fan and I found out years later they did an interview saying why did you do a Quasar cover and he goes because I wanted to make him cool because he's dorky <laughs> it's like oh I, I wanted it to be because you loved it not because you thought it was dorky but yeah. no we we shouldn't let people walk away and think you know Quasar's cool and manly and stylish he is a huge dork <laughs> And uh, that's that's got to be at least half the reason I love him being a huge dork well, myself. And that, like you said, the, I never thought about it. This association with Superman until you said it before. But you're right. He's nice. He's not brooding. He's not arsehole. Right. He, yeah. he refers to people as sir and ma'am. And, uh, and he does the right thing for the right reasons. And one of the re when he did work at Project Pegasus just as a Shield agent, and they were testing the the bands, a test pilot using the, the bands quite well. But he also overheated the bands to a point where he blew himself up because he was too, there was too much rage and then the Project Pegasus was attacked so um, Wendell put the bands on just to protect some people he did he was about to overheat and he thought I'm going to die okay went with the flow he went all zen and he chilled out and the power dissipated so the fact that he is so chilled so zen so nice is actually why he's so powerful so very Wisconsin <laughs> yes <laughs> And, you know, he's died a couple of times in true comic book fashion. Three. I think he's up to four. I think so now. He's back. He's back now at the moment. He's relinquished the quantum bands, but is back with S.H.I.E.L.D. And a new Quasar has taken up the mantle. And in the true tradition of new Quasar, died. The new Quasar is uh, another S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Her name is Avril Kincaid. And Wendell is serving as... 
a mentor. She's the Eon. Coming full circle. All right, so he doesn't have his own issues now, his own separate title. So what, what series is he part of now? That's a really good question. After his self-titled series finished, he banged about in the cosmic area of the Marvel Universe for a while. He appeared in Annihilation, Roman Kings, War of Kings. He currently is appearing in... There was an Avengers crossover, Assault on Pleasant Hill, from earlier in the year. I'm not sure where he's shown up since then. Okay. He's not around much anymore. No. But one of the reasons he's cool, because like you said, Guardians of the Galaxy and the Cosmic, that's where he did get a bit of a resurgence, because he was dead. There is a group out there, I can't remember their website, but they are a Quasar fan group. They wanted Quasar back in the Marvel Universe, and they started a letter-writing campaign, and they were very active and very pleasant in true Wendell Elvis Vaughn fashion. They said, don't send hay mail, don't send... Th- they sent cakes. They sent cakes to the Marvel Universe to say, bring back Quasar, we like our Wendell. So they did bring in Viola Vells, who was a female Quasar, for a while. She had the bands while he was dead, but they brought him back. He died again, he came back, but now, like Scott said, where he's at at the moment. He, even in the original run of his title, he died twice. But his adventures while he was dead were pretty interesting. The first death was really great, versus Maelstrom and so forth. So more of a metaphorical death at the end of the series, I think. Yeah, so while he was dead, and the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a very good movie at the moment that everyone loves, they were sort of quirky characters like Quasar that no one really cared about for a while. Then two writers, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, they started up Guardians of the Galaxy again. They brought some old characters in and this and that, and they put together the pretty much the crew that you see in the movies. And the original Guardians of the Galaxy is made up of all the cameos at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's right, yes. Yep. Sylvester Stallone and yep. Michelle Yeoh and whoever they got behind the, uh, oh, the glittery stuff. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, so they sort of put all these characters together and the Guardians became a huge selling book for Marvel. It was like out of nowhere. But I actually said, Quasar's too good a character to leave dying. <laughs> We've got to bring him back somehow. So they brought him back as an astral version of himself for a little while until they could bring him back flesh and blood Wendell again. So they think he's cool. I think he's cool. And if you like Guardians of the Galaxy, then you have to like Quasar. It's the law. Well, I gave you some facts about Quasar. Yes, you did. <laughs> Do you want to read some of them out? Okay. And these are all true. <laughs> All right, just, just going through this list that you've given me. Hmm. Quasar can taste lies, apparently. Yep. <laughs> Quasar can divide by zero. Quasar can slam a revolving door. Yeah. Quasar is not only a noun, but a verb. Quasar can judge a book by his cover. Yeah, these are a lot like those uh, original Chuck Norris facts. They, they? Some of them may be Chuck Norris facts, but they're more appropriate to Wendell. <laughs> All right, so when Bruce Banner gets mad, he turns into the Hulk. When the Hulk gets mad, he turns into Quasar. Yes. <laughs> Probably no truth to that one. Uh, in a fight between Batman and Darth Vader, the winner would be Quasar. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing as tornadoes. Quasar just hates trailer parks. So, yes, yeah, so we've, we've got a page of facts here that you guys are laughing a lot more than I am. Obviously, it means more to you guys being Quasar fans. I don't know. Okay. So, being the fact that he had pretty much a, a continuous run for, what you said, 60 issues, yep. as a non-fan, is there any particular part of the run that would be the go-to issues if someone wanted to jump into this? Oh, I can't think of any, unfortunately, because, like I said, there was written as the 60-issue story. There's not one issue where you go, oh, this is a corker. I can't remember anyone. You start at the start. Start with issue one. You get the history of the character. You get the great Paul Ryan art. Uh, if you read five or six issues, it'll culminate uh, with... Quasar's contributions to the magnificent Acts of Vengeance crossover. Acts of Vengeance was that was huge for me. Now, Acts of Vengeance was a crossover. Now, comics back then they either had an annual each year they would do an annual time, and that annual would do a, a storyline. So all the all the annuals would tie in together to a major storyline. 
Now they call it a crossover, but it would used to be done in the annuals generally, or they would do the crossover, and Acts of Vengeance was the first one I experienced as a reader. I think Inferno was the one before that, which I missed, which is a big X-Men storyline, which I got the arse end of when I started getting into comics, because there was all these references to Inferno. I had no idea what it was about. No Wikipedia back then. But Acts of Vengeance was great and terrible at the same time, because it was, oh, let's all these villains fight not their own heroes. So each hero has their own villains. Like, Spidey has a great rogues gallery, you know. There are certain villains that you associate with certain heroes. So you had, they mixed it up. And Doctor Doom versus the Punisher was the one that I always remember for whatever reason. It was, some are a lot better than others. It was Loki's grand plan. He amassed the, the major villains of the Marvel Universe, Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, and so forth, and convinced them all to trade foes. One more thing. Because, like I said with comics, one of the thrills of being a comic fan was going to comic shops, going to trade shows or trade fairs, and dumpster diving, and not dumpster diving, back issue bin diving and things like that, and finding, or even just going to the country and finding a, a, an antique shop or even a milk bar that sold comics you just go I don't have that one and the thrill of that was fantastic to build the collection was awesome I love now I'm culling my collection back then growing it was phenomenal and finding things in the wild were amazing like nowadays I can just go online and literally you could probably find Quasar you could pay $9 or whatever it is for the Marvel Unlimited app and you could read every issue of Quasar right now you could do that in the next five minutes if you wanted to and every appearance of his in every other book that uh, that he's made yeah good point so it's it's so easy now but back then it was awesome but so one of the things marvel did back in the mid to late 80s was they started the new universe because it was only 25 years old and it was getting a bit stale in the marvel universe so what we needed was a realistic take on superheroes and back then they were feeling they were losing fans and not getting new people in so it's like this is a way to get new fans into a new universe to get on the ground floor of comics so it's sort of like we're going to start the marvel new universe and it was a more realistic take like it had an iron man sort of character with the suit but it was a lot more bulky and realistic as to if you really had a suit this is how it would work and there was dp7 which were like mutants you know they all had sort of abilities but assume that's why you're bringing this up well there was one called the star brand and uh, oh oh sorry you're going in that direction yeah. uh, the creative team on dp7 was the creative team that launched the quasar book i uh, did not written know. by mark grinwald uh, drawn by Paul Ryan. I did not know that. But um, one of the ones was called The Star Brand, which I ended up picking up and liking because I liked the artwork in it and it was just this new book. And it was old by the time I found it. It was a few years old and had finished its run because the new universe lasted about three, four years, I think, before it. Not much longer. And in typical Mark Greenwell fashion, obviously, he created stuff in the new universe. He goes, oh, I like The Star Brand. I'm going to use it. So, you know, during his adventures, Quasar ended up leaving the 616 universe, as they call Marvel Universe, and popped into the new universe for a while and he came back and one of the times he died he lost the quantum bands but under the quantum bands was the star brain which is like a tattoo and it's sort of like oh I'm okay I got powers still because under there I got I picked this up in the other universe I was in which was great for me because two things that I liked tied together beautifully without me even wanting that to happen for me it's a funny book that it was just such I really dug it and I totally understand now when you brought up Superman being so similar in their mentality their their demeanor and everything like this I totally why did I I never thought of that thank you Makes so much sense. A little too obvious, I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I feel now that I know a little bit more about Quasar than I did at the start. But do you love him? Well, maybe I need to read some, and then maybe I will fall in love with him the way you guys did. <laughs> But I think that's probably a nice place for us to wrap up Quasar. Yep. You guys are obviously very passionate about it. So hopefully there are some listeners out there that are as passionate as well. And they're getting a, a bit out of this episode too. And they will go back to their collections and, and dig out their Quasars and, and reread them now. But thank you again, Scott, for coming down from Ballarat to join us for this episode. Thank you for having me, boys. It's been a pleasure.
And as usual, if you have any feedback for us, you can jump on the Massive Attacks website. We are themapodcast.podbean.com. We are on Facebook as facebook.com slash themassiveattackpodcast. Drop us an email. We're on Twitter as themapodcast. Find us everywhere you find good podcasts. And until next episode, thank you again, Scott. And thank you, Mitch. And we'll see you soon. Stand with pride, realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Yeah.